because I'm going to preach about a miracle. And so God has confirmed some things tonight. I want to preach for a few moments on know your guests at the wedding. Know your guests at the wedding. And I want to read John chapter 2, verse number 1 and 2. It's important to know your guests who are at the wedding. In many cases, there's a registry that people sign when they step into a wedding so that later the bride and the groom can see who was in attendance. Amen. And Jesus starts his ministry. The miracles that he does, he starts it at a wedding. And they did not know who was in attendance that particular day. His mom knew, and we will see, she wanted to kind of push him to the forefront. So she knew, but everybody else didn't know. Know your guests at the wedding. John chapter 2, verse number 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So there was an invitation. So they showed up. They took the invitation and showed up at the marriage. And tonight, for a few moments, I want to speak about knowing your guest at the wedding. I probably will not be long tonight, whether I want to be or not. I'm trying to work my way through a cold and sinus issue and problem. And last Sunday, I knew it was coming. And then we had such great church on Sunday. I completely lost my voice on Monday. And it's still not the best. But I want to speak just for a few moments on this subject and this point tonight. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you would direct us and guide us tonight as we reflect on what you were able to do. You're able to do the miraculous. If you're there, if you're there, if your presence is there, do above and beyond what we could even think or ask. And so we ask that you would direct us tonight in Jesus' name we pray. And someone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. There are in the book of John, there are eight signs. There are eight miracles. Now, there's more miracles that Jesus did than just eight. And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to find that there were a lot of miracles that Jesus accomplished. As a matter of fact, there's one verse that states if it were, if it were able to write down all the things that he did, the books would not be able to contain it. And so John, when he sits down to pen his gospel, he looks at eight signs. He looks at eight miracles, and he focuses on those eight. Those eight miracles are to produce faith, and they are to be an insight into Jesus' identity. These signs were not written just to fill space, but they were there to make a statement that in every single miracle, Jesus was the culmination and fulfillment of the word that was made flesh. 
John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse number 14 of that first chapter, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Verse number uh, 18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So the Word had to be declared. And it is declared in the visions and in the form of Jesus Christ. And so these eight miracles that John sets forth, they are to set forth an insight into the identity of who Jesus is. Every single sign points to Jesus. The same should be the case in every single one of our testimonies, every single one of our lives, because our lives represent a miracle. You would not be in this place if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side. You are a walking, breathing, living miracle. It may not be a physical miracle, but it's a miracle of salvation that you are even in this place tonight. You could be a lot of places, but because of God's mercy and his grace and his ability you are sitting on a church pew tonight and the Holy Ghost is operating in your life because God has done great things. We need to give God praise for the miraculous things that he has done in each and every one of our lives. Praise God, praise God. Oh, let's clap our hands like we really mean it tonight. God, praise God. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a miracle. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Every single one of these miracles points to something that is greater. Jesus is greater. And every one of our lives should point to the fact that if it had not been for him, he picked me out of miry clay. Sister Beverly Kindred, it's good to have you in the house of God tonight. He picked me out of the miry clay, established my feet on a rock to stay. Sister Shelley Stewart, it's good to have you as well. He turned my life completely around, a 180. I was going down a path of destruction and hell, but God said, my mercy is going to extend to you. That was miraculous. Just as the man that was lowered by four, the paralyzed man, Jesus said to him, first of all, I'm not only going to, I'm not only going to heal your condition, but the first thing that he said is, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know... Uh I don't know what that must have made that man feel like, but I can tell you this. I'm sure that he was thankful that he was able to take up his bed and go home. But I'm also sure he also recognized and understood the weight of sin that was compressing him. He walked away a much lighter man with a different attitude and a different understanding because Jesus is in the saving business. He's a God that is able to heal. And so these signs pointed to Jesus, every single one of these signs. Chapter number 2 of John and verse number 1, there was an invitation. Two days earlier, Jesus was speaking to Nathaniel. And on this third day, he attends a marriage uh, ceremony. A couple days before that, he reveals to Nathaniel. And he says unto Nathaniel, at the end of his conversation, Nathaniel is amazed that Jesus 
steps in and reads some things very personal to him. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I send you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's going to be an, a, a descension. The word is going to become flesh. There's going to be a descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. The Son of Man is going to do miraculous things. And so he shows up. He shows up in the first miracle of the eight miracles in the book of John. It is at a marriage. And it is at Cana of Galilee, seven miles north of Nazareth from Nathaniel's home is a place called Cana of Galilee. I want you to know this, Cana, this whole region, this whole region it was a despised region because it was against all expectation that anything good would come out of Cana of Galilee and out of Nazareth, which is where Nathaniel is from. Nothing good can come from that place. It is, if you can say it this way, it's the armpit of the world. And so the expectation is there's nothing good that can come out of Cana of Galilee. There's nothing that is good that can come out of this region because it is a despised region. And all the Hebrews and Israelites and everybody else knew that. There's nothing that can arise out of that particular place. It was a despised place against all expectations. And yet the work of God moves from the unexpected to purpose. God is able many, many times to take things that are from unexpected places and he's able to make them purposeful. He takes Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees and he sends him into the desert. There is nothing good that can come out of the desert, but out of the desert comes the father of the faithful. Abraham was used of God. Moses is banished into the desert and you might say there is nothing good that can come out of the desert, but it's Moses that steps into the throne room of Pharaoh that says to him, God told me to come to you and tell you that I've come to lead my people out of this place. From the unexpected comes purpose. From the unexpected comes a work of God. Jericho, the unexpected is there is no way that this fortified city will ever be destroyed, certainly not by walking around and praising God and using instrumentation but from the unexpected comes great great things and there is a mighty victory nobody expected a shepherd boy by the name of David to defeat a Goliath but it's from the unexpected that comes the reality of purpose and destiny nobody thought that 12 disciples who were stumbling over themselves and sticking their foot in their mouth would ever impact an entire world but it's from the unexpected that's where destiny comes from and you and me sir and ma'am are the unexpected things that God says I'm going to forge purpose and destiny out of this person I'm going to take their past their history their circumstances and I'm going to use them in the kingdom of God Cana of Galilee despised place and yet God shows up at a wedding ceremony there's an invitation and he is there at the invitation 
And it's very fascinating because there is a social faux pas. I like that word, faux pas. It was a mistake. They made a mistake because in the third verse, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. It was a social faux pas. This is supposed to be a ceremony. You're supposed to have things in place. And there is things that are not in place. And so there is a, there is a, there's kind of an understanding in Mary. She's, she's hanging on to a secret because she knows that this guest at this wedding can provide exactly what they need at the wedding. Everybody else doesn't know, but she knows because she's the mother of Jesus and she has seen some things in his life that says this is an exceptional child. One particular case, they left Jerusalem and they were on their way home when they realized Jesus was not with them. And so they turned around and went back and when they got back, he was debating with the lawyers and the doctors and all of a sudden she recognized and knew, knew that, you know, this is not just a son. This is, there's something different going on here. This is a fascinating uh, uh, story and insight. I don't know exactly when Jesus in his formation would have known and understood that he is the son of God. He is the manifestation of God in the flesh. At what point in that development? You know, there's some very, very funny stories if you look in a lot of rabbinical literature, things that are not canonical, which means they're not in the scripture. But there's a lot of uh, books and apocryphal books that talk about Jesus when he was a teenager and they're very fantastic and sensational kind of things about how Jesus could clap his hands and, and, and do all these funny tricks. And so he was like the hero on the playground, you know, because he was God. And so he could do all this stuff. Well, I don't know how, that's pretty fanciful, pretty sensational, and some of it's kind of crazy. There's a bird up on a building, and he claps his hands, and the bird comes to him, and everybody else is amazed. I don't know what record of that is actually true or if that even happened. What I imagine is what one writer described as saying, there's no way to really understand at what point does he know his purpose and his design. It's much like when you sit there and you watch the rising of the sun. Has anybody purposefully sat and watched the rising of the sun? You got up and it was dark, you were in a particular place or a setting, and you sat there when it was dark and you watched the rising of the sun. N.T. Wright, he's a theologian and a writer, and that's how he describes the moment in which Jesus would understand that he is God manifested in the flesh. He was the word made flesh. It was like the sun coming up. At some point, you don't know where the boundaries are, but you see it coming, and at some point, it is completely and fully realized. I think that is a, a great explanation. Jesus, at some point, understands his purpose and his direction. And Mary had just a little insight into that because she was close to him. And so they show up at this marriage at Cana of Galilee, an unexpected place where nothing could good could come from there. And there's a social faux pas. They don't have what they need. And Mary knows who is at the wedding. You know, sometimes I'm worried that we don't understand and recognize who's in the church. We come to the house of God and he's here. I guarantee you he is here. He is here every time we're here. 
because he dwells and he inhabits in the praises of his people. If you're not careful, you'll be at the celebration and not recognize the guest that is in the celebration. What we've got to do is elevate him to the place where he is the center and the focus of everything that we do. I'm not worshiping you. You're not worshiping me. We're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who we're magnifying. Mary knows. Mary, did you know that you'll be boy will one day walk on water. Mary knows. And so she says, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, some people have suggested that Jesus was being disrespectful because he refers to her as woman. But it's not disrespectful because if you look in some other verses, chapter 4 and verse 21, chapter 19 and verse 26 of the same book, he talks to the woman at the well in endearing terms and he calls her woman as well. So he's not He's not being disrespectful to his mother, but he is taking her to task because of what follows. Mine hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. There is a sharp reprimand. My hour is not yet come. Jesus is constantly saying this. He says it many times in this gospel. In chapter 7 and verse 30, in chapter 8, verse 20, in chapter 12, verse 23, chapter 13, verse 1, in chapter 16, verse 21, and finally in chapter 17, verse number 1, Jesus said, mine hour has come. And he's talking about his hour coming at the exact moment that they come to take him away for him to be crucified. So Jesus, he looks at his mother and he says, what have I to do with you? My hour is not yet come. There is going to be a breakthrough of his glory in flesh on the earth. And so this timing, this timing cannot be initiated by his mother, but it's going to be initiated by God. This is not something that you can force, but it's something that God produces. Oh, I'm so thankful that we do not try to force a move of God. You cannot force a move of God. And Mary seems to be saying, I know who's at the celebration. They don't have what they need. And you got the ability. And Jesus says, my hour has not come. You can't force things by human means. When we come to the house of God and we worship God, we're not trying to force and cram a move of God. We're here to magnify God and understand that God can move at whatever and whichever point he wants to move in a service. And this is what we pursue is God to break out. And when he breaks out, there's a move of the Holy Ghost and God does great, great things. And so Mary, she tries to force the issue, but it's not something that she can initiate. And so her response is pretty awesome though. She knows there's, there's, there's a secret and then she gets reprimanded in some way because Jesus says, my hour is not come. And her response is phenomenal. In verse number five, she says unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatever he says, 
do it. She doesn't argue with him. She doesn't say, you're right, I know I shouldn't be doing this. She just says, whatever he says to do, whatever he says to do, do it. Do what he says. I may not completely understand it. I may not completely get it, but this is something that I do know. There is something special that is at the celebration. There is a guest here that is special. And so I might have spoken out of turn. And so I'll, I'll retract that statement. But whatever he says to do, do it because he's the one with the authority. There are some things that you may not understand. You may not completely grasp. But if Jesus is in the building, just do what he says. Go with the flow and the move of the Holy Ghost. I guarantee you, you'll be better off when you leave than when you came. Stand back and have faith in God. It's a fascinating use of terminology because it's the same words that are used when Joseph and Pharaoh come to the point of the great famine and Pharaoh says to all of his staff, Whatever Joseph says to do, do it. We got a famine in the land. We got a shortage of food. There's an inescapability of what is taking place. But I've got confidence in this man named Joseph. Do what he says to do. I've got confidence in a name that's above every name. I've got confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in that name. There's deliverance in that name. Do what he says. Praise God. Let his anointing and his power be an authority and influence in your life. And so this excitement builds what's going to happen. And then we read in verse number six, there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece, six water pots of stone. They were stone, they were used for purification. They were believed to be items that would not attract impurity. That's why they were made of stone, six water pots. They were used for Jewish rules of purification, which meant you had to wash your hands in these pots. These pots are described here as firkins, they are two or three firkins apiece. If you do the translation on those, it's 20 gallons per pot. So there was 120 gallons of water. The function of those pots was for purification. And the capacity of those pots, there was a lot of water that was here. But the problem was there was not enough wine, not water. They had water, but they didn't have wine. And so Jesus used the pots to remedy a huge disappointment. And in verse number seven, he says unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. He said, fill the jars, fill them to the brim. He speaks it with authority. Draw some out. And all of a sudden, Jesus is operating in a miraculous way. Now, all of a sudden, there is wine that is as plentiful as water. Not only is there a quantity, six water pots, but there is a 
quality because Jesus has performed a miracle. Praise God. I want to let you know tonight that God does a miracle in terms of quantity. There's always enough. The well will never run dry. I love to use that terminology when you're shooting baskets. The well will never run dry. But lately, things have been clanging around a bit. I need to get back out there and try that again. But when it comes to Jesus, the well never will run dry. This is why he said to the woman at the well, this is a well that springs up into everlasting life. I want you to know something. The power of the anointing of the presence and spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, is not something that runs out, but it is something that is there and it's available in great vast quantities. This is an, this is an, uh, an, an idea, an understanding, an illustration. I'm doing a miracle here, but those water pots and what's in those water pots represent something greater than water and even something greater than wine. What Jesus was really doing is he was saying, I'm going to show you that that which comes first is something that you come to understand, but what comes after is greater. The Old Testament, you've received all of these things, but what comes after is something that is greater. You had the law, but what comes after the law, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, is something that is greater. There is a quantity. There is the ability to say, I know I can get exactly what I need, and there will always be a supply. There is no dirt. There is no famine of the Holy Ghost. You can come to the house of God and get exactly what you need because there is quantity. Praise God. And not only is there quantity, ladies and gentlemen, in this place, but there is quality. God's anointing and his presence will never run out, but his presence is a greater quality than anything else in the world. You can search a lot of things, and there's a lot of quantity of a lot of stuff, but you can't find the quality of his anointing and his presence and his ability and his spirit and the power and the quality of the Holy Ghost. There's quantity and there is quality. And so the governor, the ruler of the feast, he takes it to the governor and he calls the bridegroom and he says, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine and when men have well drunk, then that which is worst, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. So representation of that theologically it goes back to the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant with the law and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. There is something that has been presented, but what comes later is something that is better. When Jesus performs this miracle, everything points to his identity. Evaluate it. It's genuine. Recognize it and understand. You have kept the good until now. Praise God. Jesus' work is what comes, and there is an abundance of it. His real point here is that Jesus is the wine. The guest that's at the celebration that many do not understand or see. Musicians, if you would come. The guest that is there is able to turn the water into wine because Jesus is the wine. 
And the wine is a representation of not only a physical drink, but it's a representation of his blood. The blood is still efficacious and powerful enough to wash and cleanse every sin. And there is a quantity of it and there is a quality of it. There is nothing like the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses. He took those pots of purification to make a point that from those pots of purification, I'm going to give you something that's greater than water, and I'm going to give you something greater than wine. I'm going to give you the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary that is able to wash and cleanse every sin. Praise God, and nothing can be removed from underneath the crimson flow. Not only is it a representation of his blood, but if it's connected to Jesus, it's a representation of his presence and his spirit. There is a quantity and there is a quality. Do you know the guests at the wedding ceremony? They didn't recognize or understand who he was, but he realized he revealed his power and his ability. And the conclusion of that story is in verse number 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. This was the first miracle out of a place that was unexpected as we stand together in the house of God tonight. Out of what is unexpected, God is able to do great, great things if you understand his presence and his ability. Out of what is there, six pots that are there of water, there's something that can be changed in that that reveals a quantity and equality of his ability and his touch. You have to understand and recognize and know who's at the wedding celebration. Praise God. Stop and reflect on how Jesus operates. He is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. We come together in the house of God and we worship and we lift up his name and we fill this place with praise and worship. There is a marriage ceremony. There is a table that is spread. There is a marriage supper of the lamb. I want to recognize and understand and know who is at the wedding celebration. Who is it? Who is it? It's not just somebody passing by. It's not a teacher somewhere. I think even the disciples recognized and understood after the fact. Wait a minute. There's something here that's more than just a rabbi. This is one that is able to do miraculous things. And on that first miracle scene, Jesus does the miraculous and he turns the water into wine. I'm convinced tonight in this place that if the anointing of God and the presence of God is in this place, that there can be miraculous things that take place. When we recognize in this place is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, a miracle can happen in this place when we recognize his ability and his anointing. And as we lift our hands and our voice tonight, whatever miracle that you need in your life, whatever direction you need, encouragement and strength, whatever you have need of tonight, I've got a little secret just like Mary and I can't hold it to myself, but I want to say to the King of kings, hey, they need something in this place. They've forgotten some things. And he's not going to turn to me and say, my hour is not yet come because his hour has already come and Calvary has already done a great, great work. And he's in this place tonight to perform the miraculous. 
when we recognize his presence and his ability. Praise God. For a few moments tonight, in conclusion, I want us to lift up our voice as they prepare to sing. Amen. If there's a need in your life and there's a circumstance in your life, a situation in your life that you need a miracle. I'm not talking, uh, it could be physical, but I'm not only talking about the physicality of a miracle. I'm talking about just something in your life that God is able to minister to you. Praise God. In this place tonight, there is that ability. And these altars are open in this place tonight as they begin to sing. A miracle can happen in this place. Praise God. Could you lift up your voice tonight? A I thank you, Lord. Can I praise you, Lord. You need encouragement and strength. You need the Holy Ghost in this place. Oh, there's someone. There's someone at the marriage. Praise God. I know who the guest is. altar with uplifted hands and say, God, I know who you are. I know the guest at the wedding. I know you're able to provide.